It is Wednesday, the 10th of January 2017. I'm still Robin Yellow and this is Tectasm episode 42, Snap the Windows Dragon. And with me again because nobody else loves CES as much is James Woodall. Hello, hello, still Robin Yellow, how are you? Oh, are you? have you recovered from last week, James? Yes, I have, I have. It's all good in the hood, very exciting CES, brilliant. I have to say, I don't regret that I didn't go, um, although actually I spoke to a friend today who did, and maybe I do regret, I don't know, I'll decide. Yes. Everybody getting a cold, everybody run, walking for miles and miles, yep. uh, breathing artificially dried air. Uh, for a week not good for your health well James we have a bumper show this week we're going to be taking a look at the new Snapdragon 835 wireless chargers built into the road and VR is here to stay we'll be judging these stories and some others to tell you if they are a techtasm which by our definition is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm something existing only in a person's mind so without further post CES drivel let's get on with the show. GeekWire reported that Qualcomm are launching their new Windows 10 friendly Snapdragon 835 processor. Now, according to Keith Cressin, Qualcomm's Senior Vice President for Product Management, and when he announced the Snapdragon 835 during a media briefing last week, that's not Windows with an asterisk. Now, this was a reference to the previous and largely unsuccessful efforts by Microsoft and its partners to offer a stripped-down version of Windows 8 for Snapdragon and other ARM processors. Do you remember the, uh, the uh, what was it called? The Surface it was called RT. RT? Windows RT. Yeah, in fact, yeah. I did buy a Surface RT, and it was a really weird device. You, um, you had the Windows Metro experience, where all the apps were kind of very nice and very modern, etc. And then you had the ability to switch into the traditional Windows desktop, and the only purpose of that was to run Microsoft Office. There were no other applications available in Windows desktop mode. Yes, yeah, so and not all. likely to be, yeah. Well, Microsoft are going to use emulation technology to allow Windows 10 on this new processor to run x86 Win32 apps, such as Adobe Photoshop, Microsoft Office, and anything else you can think of. Now, Qualcomm have said that the ARM experience is going to provide a better battery life, 20% faster graphics, We'll be able to support virtual and augmented reality experiences, 3D audio, upgraded security, biometrics integration. The list goes on and on. Good idea, James? Yeah, well, I've got to, I've got to ask, and maybe the article doesn't make clear, is Windows going to run in ARM and some apps are going to run in Win32, or is the whole of Windows running in Win32? Um, Under emulation. Seems unlikely. The emulation must be there to provide backward compatibility. Just, just for the app. So, okay, because Microsoft have had the OS compiled on ARM for years now, right? I mean, it runs on the smartphones. Yes. So, um, okay, hey, if that's what they've done, that's a good idea. I mean, they do the same thing with... Maybe not to the same extent, but Windows 64 runs Win32 apps and emulation, so yes. the technology has been there for a long time, so hey, why not? Well, of course, the problem that uh, all these Windows tablets, including the Surface, have is that they're running on Intel chips, and Intel chips are fantastic. They've got plenty of power, 
but they're not going to last a full working day without being charged, whatever it tells you in the brochure. And the this uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 is the first 10 nanometer mobile processor. Now, 10 nanometer is incredibly small, uh, James. The smaller the number of nanometers, the more power efficient the chip is. And ARM has always been good by design at squeezing every last cycle out of every bit of power in the battery. And of course, the expectation here is that uh, a desktop or oh, sorry, laptop or tablet class device with this processor and the compatibility um, will tick all the boxes of all day without a battery plus uh, runs all your favorite apps. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm looking forward now at the uh, the equivalent Intel chip and in terms of nanometer cores, I think they're down to 14, I aren't they? Is 14, their smallest? Yeah, I don't think they're on. Yeah, they've got Broadwell chips on 14 that have just come out. So, Well, um, Intel's uh, attempt to get into this market properly was the Atom range of processors, and they're virtually defunct now, I think, aren't they? As a brand? Yeah, I've Atom. seen them around for. But I mean, that's because um, the, the thing that ARM do really well is they don't actually manufacture their own CPUs. You know, mm-hmm. they they allow other companies. So if you're not Intel and you want to build a CPU, you've got what choices have you've got? You've got Motorola with the power PC, so IBM architecture there. And then you've got the well, actually that's it. And then you've got ARM. So, you know, you've got great companies like NVIDIA, uh, Qualcomm, Freescale, Samsung, all building these great ARM chips. Intel, you know, they're, they're just kind of well, yeah. Well, I suppose that's the question. Is it over for Intel? Without laboring this, of course, I mean, our tectasm challenge is normally about the subject of the article, which is the Qualcomm Snapdragon processor. Is it a tectasm? So do you think they're going to be able to deliver uh, all of those promises that I just made on their behalf, James, about all-day battery life and complete compatibility with everything? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you don't, you don't know how power-hungry emulation is going to be. Emulation is, isn't cheap. So you're gonna have you're gonna. I think it's like, is it several clock cycles per clock cycle? You know, there's there's a ratio, mm. isn't there? Because you got to do some mm. kind of tran- translation. Um, so do you think uh, there'll be anything actually in the chip itself which will aid the emulation process? Um, you, you, I don't. You know, I I don't know because generally what's happened in the past is companies like Qualcomm so so when arm release a reference design it's got all the bells and whistles on it and generally what Qualcomm do and you know Samsung is they take bits out of it so i don't know how much experience they've got of adding their own secret sauce back in so i guess we'll see but i mean it's, it's i don't know it's expensive to do that isn't it it's a wait and see jobby yeah and to be fair we may never know right okay. <laughs> Um, uh, look, okay, it might be possible that they've got some things enabled which can make the emulation process faster, but let's not kid ourselves. Emulation is still slow and costly. So I'm guessing if you're running Adobe Photoshop on your smartphone, it's not really going to last too long. But then who needs that? Am I, am yeah, I but I think they're talking about laptop or tablet class devices, aren't they, for this chip as well? I mean... You know, when he's not, they're not talking about Windows 10 mobile. They're talking about a full version of Microsoft Windows, which can run, you know, desktop apps. Okay. So, so what we're saying is an ARM chip going into a laptop. It, but I think like, so, yes. He said he's citing. Like, like yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yes, because Chromebooks, of course, come in two flavors. The more popular Intel flavor, but they also are available with the MediaTek ARM chip as well. Um, and I've, I've got an ARM-based Chromebook on my desk. In fact, can't tell the difference. Just runs actually, the same. Interestingly enough, uh, the Windows 10 modern apps, because they're not allowed to call them Metro anymore, um, do run natively in ARM anyway. So this is basically some kind of backwards compatibility uh, feature, effectively. Yes, so got to the point now with a number of actual old, you know, Win32 apps that need to be run as a general on average percentage of what somebody needs to do every day is so small that, you know, you know, they may be banking on the fact that, you know, 50, 75, 80 percent of what a person does doesn't require the emulation. Therefore, you get the benefits of using new modern architectures together with the, you know, all the battery life and faster graphics that come wrapped up in this chip anyway. You know, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you there because I'm thinking about what I've done today at work and I know I'm a programmer, but I don't use any apps in my daily life that are modern apps. They're all Win32 apps. I don't get anything from the store. But anything from the store is a modern app. Yeah, but so how I much guess, of your time do you actually spend in a browser? Uh, loads. But my browser well, is Chrome, and that's a Win32 app. Okay, but that, that yeah, but that Chrome could be writ, written natively for the ARM architecture. And it has been, because like I said, I've got Chromebooks, which have Chrome for ARM architecture. So yeah, Chrome is written to, you will work on both. I don't, I don't, I don't want to pop the bubble. And my the information I'm about to give you is a few years old, but Microsoft don't have an ARM compiler for Win32 apps. If you want to write for ARM, you have to make a modern app, which has its own windowing system and whatever else. Uh, that was how it was back in Windows 8. Maybe they've changed it for Windows 10, but if you wanted uh, to build an ARM app, you had to do it in the modern environment, thus download from the store or all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so uh, maybe they've changed it. Maybe they've changed it because because that because that was the debate back with Windows RT that Firefox and Chrome couldn't be on Windows RT because mm. the compilers weren't available for it. Got it. Got um, it. But hey, I, I, I might be completely wrong. Microsoft is not the closed company it was two or three years ago. So um, hey, maybe it's completely changed. Who knows? Who knows? Well, I think we should move on. Um, Lucy Wang in in Habitat. I don't think we've covered from this website before, um, has been talking about, um, as a follow-on from a story we did last week with Solar Roads, an Israeli startup called Electrode, <laughs> is, um, Good name. Uh, yeah, exactly, is unveiling a technology that allows you to have wireless charging in the road. That's nothing new. What they are demonstrating, though, is they claim that they can retrofit one kilometer of road every day. Which is quite, that is actually quite impressive. So they can take an existing road and every day convert another kilometer of it. And basically what they've got is a strip, an inductive charging strip that runs along the road that the bus or whatever it is drives over and just naturally charges as it's driving along. I think this is pretty awesome. What do you think? Well, the sensors in the bus, from the diagrams uh, on the website, there seems to be quite a big pickup location. I would say it looks like maybe, you know, three three or four metres length of pickup 
in inducers or magnetic coils or however it works, which are, are kind of you know pr- providing a, a, a strong signal down to the the coils in the ground. Uh, so that looks pretty good, provided the bus, of course, uh, stays on the on the middle on the center line i don't know how much how well it would do if it kind of meandered over a little bit off the center but uh you know if it worked presumably are there batteries on on board the buses uh, well they would have to be if there wasn't then they'd have to tether the bus to the road right yes that's right so the charging must uh, be exceeding the load requirement of the bus so that it can push some charge into the battery uh cache uh, and give it the ability to perhaps run on areas where the, the charging isn't there. Does it say anything about the amount of power it can push in? Uh, I don't think it does, no. Uh, I mean, it, it, this article is pretty light on, on detail. It mainly talks about how you actually install it. But um, um, it does say that the battery costs $300,000 and weighs five tons. Okay. Um, but um, if... Uh, the technology is cost-saving compared to diesels. I'm guessing because uh, electricity is better than, you know, well, diesel. Well, we had seen from Qualcomm their Halo system, which did a similar thing, and I think another one from Keist um, was yeah. uh, was also doing it. And this, you know, this is known technology. It's not induction. It's ma- is it magnetic induction? Ah, goodness me, I can't remember the name of it, but it is, you can direct it, it works over a distance, it doesn't have to be right next to, um, uh, it doesn't have to be right, the coils don't have to touch, so it doesn't have to drag something along the the surface of the road, it can be, you know, half a metre away from the induction coil. Um, So the technology is proven, we know that works, the real breakthrough, as you said, is the ability to actually convert road at speed, what was it, a kilometre a day? A kilometre a day, yeah. So and, what is that? Is that like a single machine that kind of digs up the trench, lays the coil and re-tarmacs? It doesn't look like a single machine, but basically what they're able to do is uh, they need to dig a trench um, eight centimetres deep, and they've got basically a machine that just drives over and drills out this trench. A second vehicle then installs the charging strip and then fills the trench back up. Brilliant. So, I mean, it sounds like, and to be fair... That's going to be the bit that everyone questions, right? How can you possibly do this efficiently and, you know, well, whatever else. But anyway, tectasm or not tectasm? No, I don't think it is. Um, that while I think it, it's got potential to be a tectasm, because not, not because the technology doesn't work, but because either the, the venture capital funding or the money or they'll pro- find problems with the unions or digging up the road could be complicated because there are already things buried in it. Or I, I think... Um, you know, I was looking at trolley buses recently, just for, I was, you know, as you wander through Wikipedia, as you do, and I was looking on the history of trolley buses. Now, trolley buses were electric buses, double-decker electric buses, recognisable, uh, with a, um, a sort of uh, overhead cables uh, where the bus would drive along the road and could, could, could kind of manoeuvre like a regular bus through and round traffic. Um, and all the time it would remain connected to two overhead high-tension cables um, providing the power for the bus. Now, there are a couple of problems with this. One, you've got ugly wires everywhere. Um, and two, of course, if, if the bus becomes disconnected, it just stops. Um, now, this seems to solve both of those problems because, one, you've got room inside the bus for a limited battery backup to give it a few miles so it can actually go off-grid 
uh, you, you know, without having to carry so much, so many batteries to for it to do a run. Um, and two, it allows the bus, which is a very expensive um, asset, to continue working throughout the day. Now, the problem with current buses is they can, you know, like the electric buses in London, they can run for a few hours, uh, then they have to go back and be charged. <clears throat> so, so actually, they're out of service. Really, with an expensive piece of equipment like a bus, you want to keep it in service. 24 hours a day if possible mm, yeah definitely but it's nice to see people experimenting with this kind of thing though and this might not be the right answer but we're moving towards it indeed we don't think that i don't think that one's a tectasm sounds like you don't either so good luck to them is that what that's what i say now back to ces gizmodo reported through michael nunez of intel's project alloy now, uh, Intel have showed off a developer kit to selected media. Now, this is a an untethered device. Uh, you know, it's like like a lot of the VR headsets, but it doesn't contain any wires that sits on your head. It's not a finished product, so it's still a reference design, but they were <clears throat> showing it off to people. Um, and what he basically said, to boil down his very well-written article here, he said um, that apart from the controller, which is a bit flimsy, it was a very good experience. And they managed to eliminate the wires from the back of the headset. And this was a massive, massive deal. I mean, have you you used one of these VR rigs, James? Uh, I have, but a wired one. I use the the Vive. Yes, which is a very good experience, isn't it? Very rock solid. Yes. Oh, uh, yes, I'm trying to think. The HoloLens, that's not VR. That's uh, AR. Okay, so. That's what that is. Um, but but um, um, the elimination of the wire, of course, is the, is the, the critical thing here. Uh, that, that obviously Intel is going for. And of course, this industry was always going in this direction. In fact, um, VentureBeat uh, reported on Pico Technology revealing an untethered virtual reality headset CES. Um, and they obviously, like a lot of people, expect this to be the wave of the future. Now, they're looking to launch in 2017. Again, looks like a VR helmet, but obviously it's battery powered. Uh, this one uses, the, the Pico uses a Snapdragon 820. Uh, rather than the 835, interestingly enough, so it's using an older chip. But, you know, these low-power chips developed for the mobile phone world are perfect for VR. And Intel, apparently, I saw uh, a video of some of the things that they were showing in Project, Project Alloy, and they, it was incredible. They were photorealistic um, VR experiences. You know the kind of thing where you, where you look on YouTube, 4K YouTube yeah. that, that's done in a, a spherical and you can, you know, you really can see it's pixelated. Well, they had solved this problem with gigantic amounts of data. And I think he was saying something like a gig of data per frame uh, went into this model and the headset was processing it in real time. So, wow. you know, obviously it's a question of data throughput, uh, image quality and the ability to run on a battery, which... You know, as you just hinted, James, of course, HoloLens, that's something HoloLens does very well. Yeah, it does. The HoloLens battery life is not is not that great. Um, it's good enough for but, an experience, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, Intel are not, this is a concept, right? Yeah. It's not a, uh, it's, it's, it's not a real thing yet. Um, the thing is, Intel don't really make their own things, though. So No, that's a good point. The, well, they do. They made I mean, the NUC, didn't they? What was that? Again? That the NUC was the uh, single unit of computing. Uh, oh yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, they actually made that. That had an Intel badge on it. They also make the stick, the compute stick. That's an Intel branded yes. device, isn't it? You can buy those. 
Yeah, that's true. But okay, look, they don't really have much much experience. I think this is probably a technology demonstrated for their own chips. Um, because, you know, as we've discussed, and certainly on the other story, the Pico story, they're using... Um, and I like how the article points out it came out in 2015. The yeah, that's right. You know, Intel need to do something to show that they are relevant in this. Um, because ARM is creeping in everywhere now. Yes. Intel, ha- Intel have to do this. So, um, yeah, well, hey, look, it's really interesting. I'm curious to know, um, you know, things like the operating system. It's probably Windows, I'm guessing. Um, no, actually, no, it will be something on a Linux variant, won't it? Um, yeah, right. It's interesting. Do you, but do you think, I mean, the broader question of whether VR and AR are here to stay? Last, last year's CES, we didn't know. We were excited. Uh, this year's CES, you know, there seems to be, with, with one exception, which will come to in a minute, uh, the presence of VR systems at CES 2017 surprised me. I didn't think it was going to be that strong this year, and it, and it has been much stronger than I thought. Did you think it was going to go the way of the 3D TV? I did, a little bit, yeah. I mean, that's the natural cynic in me, which is why we do and enjoy this show, James. Um, but yeah, I did think it was going to be... Uh, I wanted it to succeed, but I thought, having used the systems in 2016, I thought, there's no flipping way. There's no way this is going to work. You can't be tethered and, you know, it's, it's just not going to work. And of course, it, it's... It, that people are turning up to CES. Normally, the stuff we see at CES appears at the end of the year or possibly the year after. You know, we're looking at a future of VR without wires, and that interests me. Yeah, okay. Hey, let's just see what happens. Well, thinking of CES, um, there's a story here in The Guardian by Samuel Gibbs about wireless charging. Now, we've spoken about wireless charging a couple of times on this uh, great show, um, but there's a company called Energus, which is um, bringing out its, um, and this is the greatest name for a product ever. What's uh-huh. up? What up, named after James Watt, the Scottish inventor and yeah. entrepreneur. So, um, uh, what, what they're basically claiming, and they didn't demonstrate this, but they're claiming that they can bring out a wireless charging transmitter that can offer charging at a distance of up to 15 feet or 4.6 meters. So the the opportunity there is to put it in the roof, is it? Yes, yeah, and basically you can supply a wireless charging to an entire room, and basically it can pump out about uh, 700 milliamp hours, which is effectively anything with a micro USB port. So your phone, your game controller, your, you know, what they're showing in the picture, your wireless headphones your remote control car i think they're reaching slightly um but yeah you know that's that's base that's basically it um what they did show was um um in the demonstrations wireless charging over a couple of centimeters um and basically yeah they're moving so hang on wait a minute they, they demonstrated a couple of centimeters but they uh, and but they're talking yeah. about um, they call, they're calling it forthcoming. A, the, the, the devices that they are working with their partners on for wireless charging will be able to, and I quote, seamlessly transition from being charged by small contact-based portable transmitters to forthcoming large transmitters that are, offer this great... So what, so the, the, just to describe the image, there's a, a, you know, somebody's living room and there's a, there's a, a hand controller for a games console, a remote control car, some, some laptops... 
some phones, some speakers, you know, stuff around the, t- the sort of stuff which is a pain to have to plug in and charge. Um, and it's the implication very much is that they are wherever they lay, they are being charged. Now, is the suggestion here that this what up wireless system will have a targeting chip in each device uh, and we'll single yeah. it out? I mean, that's basically what the, uh, I think for this to be successful, they have to work with the various manufacturers and they claim to have signed an undisclosed deal to supply the wireless power system to, and I quote, one of the largest consumer electronic companies in the world. Mm. So that's going to be an Apple, a Samsung, an LG, mm. HTC type company. Um now, supposedly, there's rumours that they are currently going through the Apple compliance testing, so that's basically where where they're, where they're thinking. But effectively, what this article is saying is this technology is great, but it's only going to happen if one of the big boys picks mm. it up. So I guess it's kind of a stay tuned. Well, we've had type, the Qi uh, wireless charging system. I was a big fan of it and user of it myself uh, until I realised the way it works. Uh, was or, or one of the side effects of the way it works was to create a lot of heat in the back of the phone and that can't have been good for the battery so I stopped using them and uh, went back to plugging in because I was concerned that the amount of heat being generated by my phone was <clears throat> was not good also uh, another problem with this is it has got the whiff of witchcraft about it um, and I just wonder what the consumer acceptance factor would be on a wireless power beamer stuck in your room. I think they just need to do a bit more work in explaining it to the consumers. But I don't think we're there yet because it sounds like the technology doesn't well, even exist. Either. Well, so. and that is the uh, building blocks for a tectasm, if ever I saw one. I'll tell you what's not a tectasm, James. Okay. Amazon's Alexa Assistant. Engadget reported, uh, this is just an example story, we could have picked any one of 50 stories, but uh, reported that Alexa is even coming to refrigerators. Now, LG last year brought a fridge to CES that ran Windows 10, showing a device that could keep food cold and play Minesweeper. Uh, This year, it's taking that concept one step further, introducing a new screen-adorned InstaView door-in-door refrigerator with voice control. And specifically, it will have a full-on Amazon Alexa device. So if you think about it, this fridge is a gigantic Amazon Echo. So do the Echoes talk to each other, you know, in the sense... Well, you mean you talk to each other in terms of setting up a network and knowing that there are other yeah, echoes in the house? Right. Yes, yes. So, so okay. um, uh, one of the uh, w- when they launched the Echo Dot, which is the small one, a um, l- lot of people got them for Black Friday or for Christmas uh, or th- uh, presents, um, and found themselves living in multiple. Alexa households and would often call out a, a request to Alexa and it would um, uh, pick it up on multiple devices and both start yapping out the answer at the same time. They've now fixed that. So clearly, if there are multiple Echo devices in the house, uh, then only one will respond. It works out which one's closer to you. And uh... You see, I'm not sure about this Alexa thing. I know you've got one and, you know, we've told it jokes and you know, told it to shut up many times. But there was a story a couple of weeks ago, I don't have the link for it, um, whereby 
um, law enforcement were demanding from Amazon the recording of a particular Alexa because it was a witness to a robbery or a murder or some <clears> kind of <throat> crime. Um, I don't. I know I'm going to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, great English word. Um, I don't know if I like the idea of it listening to me all the time. Uh, well, uh. so while the world is going Alexa crazy, uh, this commentator is not Alexa crazy. Um, it it it's got a little bit of personality programmed into it, but it's just not very good. I mean, certainly it can understand what you said, and it's got a beautiful synthesized voice. That's fantastic. What it doesn't have is the knowledge graph behind it. But that was what CES twenty seventeen was all about. This was about extending the Amazon Echo ecosystem, um, and um, you know they expected. 30 or 40 and they got you know 150 different announcements of um amazon echo compatibility is it the new os i don't know is it is this the way operating systems are going i mean i don't even know what os it runs it doesn't matter it's just that it says fire os so well maybe it does maybe it doesn't who knows but it's irrelevant the point is it's got one interface and a speaker you know you speak to it and it speaks back and that's it that's yeah. not bad. Is this the new, is this the way things are going? Oh, it's it's interesting. I wonder if you can download the OS. I suppose you need to be one of their partners, won't you, or something? Um, well, at the moment, it's a service provided by Amazon on approved devices. Clearly, they have authorized or licensed LG to use it in this fridge. Uh, therefore, they have a licensing model. It's not like Apple. Um, uh, they don't have to make the hardware themselves. Um, and certainly when it comes to connectivity, like a lot of uh, uh, the Amazon company, uh, they're very open. They've got open APIs, well published and supported, supported by the community, well documented. Um, you know, the things are looking bright and they've certainly got that first mover advantage uh, over the only other player, I think, in this field with a comparable product, which is the Google Home. Uh, yeah, hey, look, it's interesting. I think the jury's still out, though, on the whole Alexa thing. Um, everyone's going crazy over it because it's the in thing, but yeah, I don't know. It's not for me. Okay, uh, um, okay well, moving on to a really kind of weird story, really, CES. Um, Adam Gabba in The Guardian uh, talking about Faraday Futures FF91. Now, we've never spoken about Faraday Future, I don't think, on this show, but I don't know if you're aware of them. They are a... A brand new electric vehicle company that is very, very ambitious, very boisterous, talking about their, and I quote, production car, which is not yet in production, and about how it has a faster 0 to 60 than the Tesla Model S, 2.39 seconds over 2.5, the equivalent of a 1,050 brake horsepower. It um, They're building a $1 billion factory. And it'll have all these crazy features, like it will learn who you are. It will have a driverless valet where the car can park itself. Blah, 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 blah. Lots of exciting things going on there. The problem with Faraday Future, though, and the reason they're normally in the news, is because their $1 billion factory, they didn't pay the construction company, so they've down tools. Um, the uh, car itself and the unveiling had quite a few issues, which they've removed from the videos that they posted live. The CEO has left, several executives have left, and it looks like the parent company's dried up the money. So, 
I mean, look, this is tech that's right, Well, uh, what I liked about the Faraday Future were some of the innovations, uh, the driverless ability, the ability to park itself completely autonomously. The uh, spin-up LiDAR on the front was very interesting. So uh, a lot of these driving cars have got LiDAR systems, which require these sort of things sticking out of the roof, and they're a bit ungainly. Faraday Future solved this problem by having a, a circular pop-up LiDAR detector uh, in on the front of the car where the bonnet is um so you know it, it looked like it had some innovations what i didn't like were the its gigantic size i mean it's the size of a transit van um, it's got a huge range of 350 miles now in order to get that range with current lithium-ion battery technology requires will require you know a ton of batteries i mean literally a thousand kilograms of batteries I'd be surprised if it's less in order to get that range. And actually, you think it just had the whiff of something that wanted to be faster and bigger and better in every technical way without, you know, without really having a, a philosophy that was any better than it's got to be bigger and faster. And uh, so it left me yeah, feeling a bit dry. Also, you know, isn't it, wasn't there some kind of scheme where you could sign up to get one by putting $5,000 down? Yeah, and supposedly they've had over 60,000 pre-orders of people who've put in $5,000, which, you know, quick maths, that's $300 million, um, which which is, I mean, that's quite impressive, you know, because I'm sure investors would like the fact that they've yep. now all of a sudden got... Well, as a know, Kickstarter pitch, which is what it was, um, it's clearly, you know, if it is... If those figures are correct, then, uh, well, they're off and running, aren't they? I just didn't like it. I mean, I can see how it would appeal to Americans. Yeah, and but, and I think I think that's part of the problem because the, the so the Chinese company that's behind it, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the Le name. Echo. Uh, yeah, Le Echo. Yeah, the um, they've been supposedly siphoning off off a couple of their um, uh, employees onto the Chinese version of this car. So, um, what do you think? Is this a tectasm, this Faraday Future FF91? Yes, I think it is. There's too much stuff going on behind the scenes for it to be anything else. As you said, with the talent being leached off in various different directions, it has the whiff of a last gasp, desperate attempt to get some funding in. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call it, I don't think this one's going to see the light of day. Um, I think it's got tectasm written all over it. Agreed. Can Let's I move on? Can I do you a final story, James? Is that all right? Yeah, I've go got on. one more. I know we've been going a long time, but this made this tickled me. And the Guardian reported about a new way to punish young cyber criminals is to make them wear a Wi-Fi jammer. Now, now, Chief Superintendent Gavin Thomas, who's the president of the Police Superintendents Association of England and Wales, suggested in an interview that Wi-Fi jammers, which are devices worn on the ankle or wrist to block the internet, could serve as a smarter punishment for cyber crimes than prison. And what he said is, we've got to stop using 19th century punishments to deal with 21st century crimes. What do you think, James? Uh I, I love this story because it says uh, further down um, there's two reasons why this won't work. The first is they're illegal and the second they wouldn't work. And that's... <laughs> that's well, the first one you could get around that by making it legal. But actually, if it won't work, it won't work. 
Yeah, I mean, because the thing with Wi-Fi is there's what there's fifteen, sixteen bands. Actually, there's probably more now that AC is out. Um, actually, also, if you're out in the street, you don't have Wi-Fi anyway. You've got four G or three G. You can't block three G or four G because it'll piss off the person next to you. Um, good, good luck with that. Yeah, I, it's one of those things said by a politician, or in this case, a police, police senior police officer, uh, which pays no heed to technology whatsoever, therefore, by definition, makes it a tectasm. Uh, I like the thinking, though. I thought it was intriguing because actually, you know, uh, I always say if I ask for my children's phone or device or screen, uh, they, I, I say turn your laptop off and what they're hearing is cut my right arm off or gouge my eyes out with a spoon because actually screen time is the most important thing to a young person uh, and cyber criminals the most important thing is being online and uh, you know as he said you know if we could find a way to make this work i think this is really clever you know then we wouldn't have to lock people up yeah this is true um isn't there an issue though in the sense that isn't like broadband now a human right? <laughs> well, now you're getting into a, an area of philosophy for which we don't have time to James today, but uh, a good question as always. A little bit longer than usual, but that's it for this week. Find us at facebook.com tectasm. Subscribe in the usual places and contact us at feedback at tectasm.com. We record most weeks at about 9pm, so watch out for our next episode. This is me, Sir Robin Yellow. Me, Mr. James Woodall. Asking the question, is it real or is it just a tectasm? (laughs) 